and girls. I hope you're having a good Sabbath. Today we're going to talk about baby deer. Come on up, Isa. All right, we're going to talk about baby deer. Now, Nathaniel, what's a baby deer called? A fawn. A fawn. And this time of year, sometimes you might see in your yard or maybe you're in the woods, you might see a tiny fawn all curled up by itself. And Lily, what might you think if you saw a little baby fawn all by itself? I wonder where your mommy would be. Yeah, there's no mommy. Where's the mommy? What do you think is going on with the baby fawn? Well, yeah, we have a picture here. I don't know if you can see it very well, but here's a little newborn fawn all curled up. Now, what mommy deer do is because their little baby is so little and so tiny, it can't walk all around with a mommy. So the, the mother deer will tell the baby, and however mother deers talk to their babies, will tell the baby to stay put, stay under this tree or stay in this brush, and stay right there until I come back. And so if you see that baby fawn, it's not getting up and going anywhere. It's staying curled up waiting for its mommy. Now, what would happen, Lily, Lily, what do you think would happen if the baby, little baby got up and started walking around? It would get hit by a car. It could get hit by a car, or it could get attacked by a wolf or a coyote, some sort of predator, and it, it very likely would not survive. It would get lost, and it could be killed. So the baby fawn knows to obey its mommy, and its mommy knows best of where to have the baby fawn be. So the baby fawn is very obedient. Now, we can learn a lesson from the fawns um, out there we can learn a lesson to obey. That little fawn does not get up. It stays right put um, where mommy left it because it, he, the baby knows that mommy knows the best. Now, should we obey our parents only when they're watching us? What do you think, girls? Should we obey only when mom and dad are watching us or should we obey all the time? We should obey all the time. Exactly, all the time, even when mommy and daddy aren't watching right at us. We need to obey just like that fawn. Mama's not standing there, but the, the fawn is obeying. Because sometimes our life literally might depend on it. And ultimately, as we learn to obey our parents, we're learning to obey God. And our lives do depend on that. So learning to obey our parents is the best way to learn to obey God. Satan wants us to destroy us, but God wants us to truly live and live forever. All right, let's pray. 
Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the lessons we can learn from your animals, and we thank you, Lord, that you love us so much. You are our Heavenly Father. Pray that you'll help all us, all our children to learn to obey um, our parents, and ultimately you, Lord. We thank you that you are coming soon. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning and happy Sabbath. Today our scripture comes from John chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 11, and I will be reading from the New King James Version. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would not have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may also be. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Good morning. It's nice, very nice, very refreshing to see you all here in a nice frame of mind. A couple weeks ago I spoke and I am glad to say I have a similar topic as I had been. I hope you all enjoyed it then and I think you'll get something out of it today also. Um, let me pray. Dear Lord, we are privilege to know your blessed um, influence, your, your substance is health and, and victory. We know that you've invested lots of energy, lots of time and um, knowledge in this, and we thank you for that. Amen. The, uh, the current pandemic is bringing out more than just physical health problems. Um, as you've mentioned, uh, problems of your heart, your mood, anxiety, worry. And so that's what I'd like to talk about, how to overcome that. Uh, reading the Sermon on the Mount in the current pandemic. Uh, if you want to, you can turn to Matthew 6, 26, and then 28 through 30. I'm just going to touch on a few things here. 
the, uh, the hint there is to observe nature in detail to give you a full sense of God's love and his creative abilities. Um, I haven't seen something um, in my yard for a long time. I saw several bluebirds, fantastic little tents, and some birds I haven't seen ever. Different colors in different locations. I was glad for that. The best observation of nature is if you s stop and look at it. Today would be a good day. Spend time observing the colors, imagining the textures and all things like that. Smelling with your mind what it might be like to be there. Um, get out some children's Bible stories and look at the nature pictures in those. Those are pretty well done. Uh, verse 26 is dwell in the caring love of God. The book Ministry of Healing talks about learning how to throw your entire self open to the influence of God's Holy Spirit, how to soak up the sun, so to speak, S-O-N included. Um, as you're dwelling in the love of God, it, it, is, it is often recommended to journal about those things. Keep a, a memory log of those and spend some time meditating. Number three, live according to the values of God's kingdom, verse 33. When we feel threatened, we're by nature um, tempted to think of our needs first and forget others. It's a real blessing to find simple ways to extend yourself to others. And that will, that will keep you. I got a text last night about the bicycle ride. That was. That was very nice. You may have heard this saying, don't believe everything you hear and only believe half of what you see. You know where that's going? Verse 27, uh, Matthew 6, 27, and the uh, author of, of some things here says, don't believe everything you think. Add that to the other two. Um, Jesus asked if we would add a single hour to our lives by worrying. Of course not. In fact, we're bound to take hours off our life if we worry too much. I don't know if any of you have um, inherited any of those traits from your family or from your parents. God bless you. But there's hope. Um, cognitive therapists call these um, worries, cognitive distortions. Here are some to avoid. All or nothing thinking, when we tend to see things in extreme terms. Um, Overgeneralizations, when we take one negative event and believe it to represent all encompassing patterns. A negative mental filter is when we see things through a pessimistic lens. So we suggest write down what you worry about, then look up a list of cognitive distortions online and see which one applies. Challenge the distortion. Remember, the truth shall make you free. And here's the best one of all. Uh, verse 34, um, Matthew 6, verse 34. Jesus seemingly recognized that his recommendation not to worry Verse 25 would not necessarily be easily followed, 
and suggested that we keep worries to that particular day. Um, experts agree that if you're going to worry, set a limited time to do so, as Jesus did. <clears throat> For instance, take 5 p.m. and dedicate a full half hour to worry. All you need to worry about. Schedule your worries. If during the day you notice a worry coming up, stop, tell yourself that you'll be dedicating a full half hour to it at the appointed time. Just think of all the wrinkles you'll save on your face. Finally, take the counsel of Paul. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Tell God everything and leave out nothing, Paul says. As you pour out your heart to God, know that you belong to Jesus, and in him there is no fear nor pandemic that can separate us from his love. Thank you. Let me know how you do with that scheduled worry time. That's a, that's a really f positive yet uh, practical way to keep things in order. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Aaron. That was beautiful. Greetings once again, church family, members, and visitors alike. Please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 13 this morning. We will be looking at 14, but in the context, we need to go to 13 and take another look where we came from, setting the stage for where we are going. When Christians are asked about their favorite Bible verse, this is one that comes up again and again and again, along with, probably would guess it, 1 Corinthians 13 and Romans 8. And so it's a very popular, a very powerful passage of scripture. Before we go to our review, however, I'd like to try to help you to enter into the feelings of the disciples as they were there in the upper room. Please listen carefully and see how long it takes you to identify which disciple I am getting into the shoes of. I was there. I was there for three and a half years. I walked by his side, and this was no ordinary man. This was God in the flesh. I was there when he labored intensely from sun up until sundown, teaching and healing disease. I was there. I was there when he healed the paralytic beside the pool of Bethesda. I was there when the desperate lady who for 38 years had spent all her money on doctors was healed instantly. I was there. I was there when rich men and tax collectors, poor men and slaves were transformed from sinners into saints. Yes, I was there. I was there with Nicodemus and Zacchaeus and the woman at the well. I was there when he graced the wedding feast, turning water into new wine. I was there when he was transfigured and we saw him in a blaze of holy light. 
I was there in the boat when it was ready to capsize during a raging sea, and he just spoke the word, be still, and the waves were as calm as glass. I was there when he raised the widow of Nain and Jairus' daughter. I was there. I was there when he opened the eyes of the blind, a man who had been blind from birth. And I was there. I'll never forget. I was there at the tomb when he spoke the word, come forth. And Lazarus was raised to life. Oh, I had such faith in this man. He was not just a man. If he could walk on water, I could too, or so I thought. With him as my leader and companion, I felt I could conquer the world. I would die for this man. But now I am deeply troubled because he's saying that he's leaving and we cannot go. I told him I was strong and I would give my life for him, but he prophesied that I would deny him three times before the morning rooster crowed. My heart is crushed. I'm broken. And I feel so alone. I feel dirty and unfaithful and so utterly unprepared, both now and for what lies ahead. And the truth is, I don't know what to believe. And then he spoke. He spoke again and he said to me and to the others, do not let your heart be troubled. You must believe fully in God the Father and you must believe fully in me, Jesus said. In my Father's house are many attached sweets. It's for sure, Peter. Believe it fully. If it were not so, I surely would have told you otherwise. Let's pray. Father, this morning as we enter in again to the upper room, we ask your spirit to especially draw us there. May we and our imaginations be right there with Jesus as he spoke. Touch our hearts, Lord. Give us clarity of understanding. Give us conviction of the spirit. Give us courage and strength to follow what your word tells us to do today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we go to John chapter 13. How long did it take you to get that it was Peter? You should have had a clue when I talked about the transfiguration, right? That narrowed it down to the three. And then, of course, the walking on the water. So follow along with me in John chapter 13. I'm going to give you a different snapshot of John 13 because it's the snapshot that the Lord gave me this week. So it's different than last week. And it's about knowing and not knowing. So we'll look on in John chapter 13. Verse 1, got the New King James this morning. It says, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew, he knew something. He knew that his hour had come and he knew something else, that he should depart from this world to the Father. So there's two things there that he knew. His hour has come, that he was going to depart and be with the Father. 
You'll remember that later on in his intense suffering, there was a time when he could not see through the portals of the tomb. That's not now, right? Now he's seeing. He's seeing his connection with the Father, and he's seeing it clearly. Go on to verse 3 now. Jesus knowing. Same word, same root word here in the Greek. It's actually in the perfect tense both times for those that have a knowledge of that and for those that don't. So the perfect tense is something that happened in the past, aorist. It's happening now and it's going to happen in the future. So he's got this knowledge that transcends the present. Jesus knowing, what did he know? That the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and that he was going to God. So again here, Jesus knows something. He knows he's going back to the Father. He knows that the Father is giving all things into his hand and he knows that he has come from God. Pretty important stuff. This perfect oneness between the Father and the Son is here perfectly understood by Jesus. Now skip down to verse 11. Jesus says there that he knew who would betray him. So here's something else that Jesus knew. We're looking at this in the terms of what Jesus knew and what the disciples were challenged to know. He knew who would betray him, it says. And then look at verse 12, because now it turns a corner as he starts talking to the disciples and asking this question. And it turns a corner in relation to the verb being used. Now, in, the, in our translation, it looks like the same word, but it's totally not. So we're going to look at that. Verse 12. And when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I've just done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example. Now, here the word is from gnosko. It's a different word than the other word for know. The other word means perceive or understand. This word means experience. Have you experienced what I'm telling you? So it's very different where he turns the corner here. Have you experienced humble servanthood and agape love? They must come from personal, firsthand experience. It's not just something you know. Yeah, I know that. No, are you experiencing that? It's the same with us. We must experience the gospel, not just know and be able to spout off knowledge, but our hearts must be transformed by it. Listen to a young man give his testimony recently, and it was very apparent that he was very biblically literate, but unfortunately it was also apparent that he did not know the Lord and the Spirit, Holy Spirit that wrote the Bible, unfortunately. And so please, my friends, this morning, I implore you that now is the time to know the Lord in a deeper sense, in a personal and intimate way like never before. Remember, Jesus gained strength and faith. He lived by faith when he was on this earth. In these times when he could see 
his relationship with the Father. He was gaining strength because there was going to come a time when he couldn't see through the portals of the tomb. Now is the time when we pretty much can see things. There's going to come a time that's tougher than what we have now. And in those times, we need to have gained strength now for the experience yet to come. And God wants to give us that. Have you ever had times in your life when you just really didn't see if God was there? Well, remember, Jesus knows exactly how that feels. He felt that way on the cross also. But again, the way he made it through is the same way that you will make it through. By gaining strength now in the time when you can see and understand his leading. Now is the time to allow him to give us that kind of experience. Well, as we go on, as we look at verses 18 now through 30, we see Jesus identifying his betrayer. And we notice the words here, especially at the end, look at verse 30. Having received the piece of bread, speaking of Judas, he then went out immediately and it was night. Chilling words, really. Now, no doubt it was night. Evening had come. Sun had set. It was night. But it's more than that. It was night in the soul of Judas. The lights had gone out. And the lights had gone out because he had turned away and walked away from the light of the world. John chapter 3 is applicable to us just as it is to Judas, to everyone in the world. Where God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then it goes on. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world would be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he does not believe in the name of the only begotten son of God. And this is the condemnation. Pay attention to this point because this especially goes along with Judas. This is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. It's exactly what the case was with Judas. He walked away from the light. So in the end of all things, everybody gets really exactly what they want. Or more precisely, everyone gets exactly what they love. Even at that, though, we must just a little bit feel the, the pathos, feel the sadness and the heartbreak of Christ to lose even one who he'd given absolutely everything for and done everything that each one would be saved to the uttermost. Well, the next section now, starting in verse 31, speaks of the new commandment, the new normal. We looked at that last week. God is calling us to a new normal, and it's the new normal of God's love being lived out in us. Not just doing evangelism, but being evangelism. Not just having an evangelistic reaping series, but every member really living the love of God. If we miss this, I think we've missed 
part of the whole wake-up call that God is giving us right now. We must live agape or let it live in us. And so as we look now to verse 36, we get now the immediate context of where we're going in chapter 14. Because remember, the chapter end and beginnings are not uh, written in the Bible. I mean, they're written in the Bible, but they're not inspired. Neither is the punctuation. Now, did they get it right most of the time? I think they did most of the time. But there are certain times where you've got to scratch your head and say, why did they start the chapter here? And I think this is one of those cases where we have to ask that question. And so as we look at verse 36, it says this, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? That's clear enough, isn't it? And Jesus then answered and said, where I am going, you cannot follow. Now pay close attention to this. You cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. You cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. So here Jesus is telling the disciples, I'm not going to be around much longer. And where I'm going, you cannot come. Well, of course, they were all very distraught. And then Peter asked this question in verse 36. But pay close attention here to going back now to verse 36, because I mean, verse 33, because that's where the question was also asked and answered in a little different way. Verse 33 says, little children, I shall be with you a little longer. You shall seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot, what's the next word? Pay attention. You cannot come. Okay, so in verse 33, he says, you can't come with me. And then in verse 36, he says, where I am going, you cannot what? Follow. Follow. Very important. You cannot follow me now, but you will follow me later. Now, where Jesus was going in the immediate context was the cross of Calvary. And there was no room for anyone on that cross except him. You cannot come. I'm going. I'm doing this work. It's an objective work for the entire world. It's outside of you. It's extra nos. You cannot come. But you can follow. But I'm going to hang there. Through the years, so many people have thought that they were the Christ, right? The Messiah. That they were the Savior. We've even been told through the years that Mary is the co-redemptrix of the world. There's no such thing, and that is anti-biblical. No, what Jesus said is true for all the world. He was going to taste death for every man, and God the Father was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. Where he was going, they could not come. He must go it alone. He must develop a perfect faith on earth so that we could follow later. That's what he says in verse 36. Where I'm going, you cannot Follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. 
we are called to be followers of Christ, not Christ himself. And we follow by faith. Following is not difficult to describe, is it? If you're following someone in a car, you must look at the car that you're following, right? You must look unto the car. We must look unto Jesus. If the car turns right, turns left, goes straight, you're following, so you have to look at it. The same is true with us. We must keep our eyes on Jesus. Christ first made the way of salvation and obedience for us without us. Without any help on our part, he did it. But then when we walk that road, we still don't walk it alone. He's right there beside you every step of the way. If he had not walked it for us, be for us. We couldn't walk it at all. But he does even more than that. He first walked it for us without us. And then he walks it for us with us. Of course, there's a dual meaning here, a double intendre, especially for Peter. And you probably caught it there. Especially if you're thinking about the cross when you're looking at this. Where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Peter, too, would be hung on a cross, but not feeling himself worthy to do so, he would be hung upside down. Going on now, we pick up with John chapter 14. And don't worry, I'm preaching again next week, so I can go into John 14 again next week, which I had planned to do. But still setting the stage for this in verse 37, a stunned Peter says, Lord, why can't I follow now? I will lay down my life for your sake. I'm ready, Lord. I'm fully sanctified. I'm ready for this. And Jesus repeats what he said for emphasis. Have your parents, have your spouses ever done that? He says, oh, will you? Will you really, Peter? Will you lay down your life for my sake? And then we see Jesus again using the double amen. Amen, amen. In the New King James, it just reads most assuredly. King James would read verily, verily, but it's amen, amen. I say to you, Peter, that before the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times this very night. You think you're strong enough to give your life for me, but you can't even make it through the night, Peter. Well, I hope you have now a little bit more understanding of where John 14 is coming from, right? Peter is troubled. He's shaken in his spirit. That word troubled actually means shaken. And a little better understanding of the story that I shared at the beginning. Jesus then says to Peter, right? Look at chapter 14. There's no break. Back in verse 38, you see the red letters. If you've got a red letter Bible, it's still red letters. This should all really be together. He's talking to Peter, the primary recipient. Of course, he's talking to all of us as an extension. Peter, I know you're feeling crushed right now. I know you're feeling faithless, but let me tell you something, Peter. Do not let your heart be troubled. You must believe fully in Father God, and you must believe fully in me, Jesus says. They are both imperative, Peter. 
and to every disciple that would follow, the same would be true. That means you and me. As we look further at this passage, and if you look at the Gospel of John just in general, really all four Gospels, you see that the believers had a problem and a distrust with the character of the Father. And isn't that why Jesus came? To show them the Father. But they still had a big problem with it. And so Jesus is wanting to take away that trouble from them also and show them the Father. They must believe fully in Jesus and they must believe fully in the Father. Both are imperative. Look on to verse 2 now. So let your heart not be troubled, Peter. Let your heart not be troubled, believers today. You must believe in Father God fully. You must believe in me fully. Verse 2, in my Father's house are many mansions. Not the greatest translation of that word. The word mansions, suites, would probably be better. And then he says this, it must have almost pained Jesus because obviously Peter wasn't even sure what to believe. So Jesus had to say, Peter, believe me, what I'm telling you is true. What I'm telling you is true. I go to prepare a place for you and I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also. And so in his father's house, he says, are many mansions or many suites. And in the Middle East, many times when someone got married, they didn't move off. The family just built onto the house. And the house just kept growing, depending on how many children they had. And so each one of us will have a suite in the father's house. Now that's going to be extremely important, and you've got to stay with me for the last part of this because I'm going to give you a different, probably a different understanding of this John 14 than you have maybe seen before. Maybe you have seen it before. But let's stop and unpack what we have now. And this is so applicable to our time. Have you ever felt crushed in your heart? Maybe a relationship that went sour. Maybe the loss of a loved one that was dear to you, that you lived with for years. Or maybe some other circumstances just loomed so large you just couldn't handle it. It was hard. And you were not sure you were going to make it through. Well, this is for you. God is saying to you and to me just as well as to Peter, do not let your heart be troubled or crushed, or shaken. And then he gives us the antidote for a crushed heart. We've already read it. Believe in me, Jesus says, and believe in Father God fully, both of us. You're not alone, and you won't be alone if you'll just do that one thing. You're not going to be in some hotel down the road with the risk of the hotel being overbooked and maybe you don't even get a room. No, no, you're not in a hotel down the room. You're in your father's house. That should get you excited. In your own suite. You won't be sharing a room with someone else. 
You'll have your very own room. Now, please get this. If you are starting to waver a little bit, get this point. It's so important. It's not about a room. When you get to heaven, do you want a room? You don't want a room. You want a person. You want Jesus. You want time with God himself. I quote this. The relations between God, this is talking about the Father, you'll see how we know that. The relations between God and each soul are as distinct and full as though there were not another one for whom he gave his beloved son. That's you and I. It's just that intimate between us as if there's no, nobody else on the planet. The Lord is very pity, pitiful excuse me, and of tender mercy. His heart is touched by our sorrows and even the utterance of them. Nothing in any way that concerns our peace is too small for him to notice. There is no chapter in our experience too dark for him to read, no perplexity too difficult for him to unravel. No calamity can befall the least of his children. No anxiety harass the soul. No joy cheer. No sincere prayer escape the lips of which our heavenly Father is unobservant or in which he doesn't take an immediate interest. He does. He's interested. You're never alone. Jesus promises that you will have your own space with the Father and Jesus himself said, I go to make the preparations for you. And those preparations cost him everything. Anyone who ever makes it to heaven does so because of the preparations that Jesus made in his perfect life, his sacrificial death, his victorious resurrection, and his high priestly intercession. He will go before you and make the preparations, and he will never leave you. You are not alone now, and you won't be then. Even when Jesus did leave at his ascension, God did not leave, right? Think about it. In fact, he came to them. I will come to you. He came to them in the person of the Holy Spirit. I think that's a, at least a partial meaning here. And the Holy Spirit then was even closer to them and could be everywhere at once. Friend, today you are not alone. Christ has made provision for you to be saved and have sweet communion with him for all eternity. Maybe someone in the listening of my voice or watching today has never experienced that kind of closeness of relationship with God. Or maybe you have had that, but you've walked away now from God. Today, Jesus is calling. He's calling you to himself. He's calling you to fully believe in him and fully believe in Father God and the Holy Spirit, which we'll get to next week. To those watching who are troubled due to the circumstances that our world is going through, God is saying to you, do not be troubled. Put your full faith in Jesus, the Messiah, and God the Father, and in the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. Maybe some of you 
here or listening feel unprepared for the events to come. Well, Jesus is saying to you that you could no more prepare for this crisis in your own strength than you could prepare for your own salvation. It's his work. Let him do it. He says, it's my job to tell you the truth. It's my job to go before you. It's my job to prepare. It's my job to come again, both in the person of the Holy Spirit and at the second coming. Closing from Isaiah. But now, thus saith the Lord. The one who created you, O Jacob, and the one who formed you, O Israel. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And the rivers will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. Even the flame will not scorch you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Believe in me, Jesus says. Believe in Father God. Believe in the Holy Spirit. You are not alone.
You're my strength and you're my defender And you're my refuge in the storm And through these trials you've always been faithful You bring healing to my soul For those of us here, let's stand as we close prayer. Oh, indeed, Father, we are not alone. You will be with us, you promise, when we go through the deep waters and when we go through the fire. You'll be there with us. Jesus, you've gone and made the preparations you went to the cross, only you could do that. We now can follow in your strength and we're so grateful that you have come in the person of the Holy Spirit who's here with us now. And you will come again that we might be with you for eternity. Keep us in the palm of your hand till that day. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.